0: Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society.
1: The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide.
0: For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org.
1: Hi, I'm Charles Epting from HR Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortesi of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Charles, I'm super excited about our guest today. Today we're talking to Mark Swakala, the director of the Freaks and Errors, Documentary on stamps. We got a chance to see the documentary in Monaco. Phil in the two thousand seventeen. Correct. When right. that, was, that was where it premiered, now,
0: how many yeah. people had to have their movie premiere in Monaco of all places? That's a, right. That's uh, you know a, a real feather in his cap, I think.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was an exciting experience, and and just watching it premiere there with all the people who, alongside people who were interviewed in the movie. That's the thing. And after you see it, then you go to a
0: show, and it's like, he's from the movie, he's from the movie. It, it's funny, <laughs> you know, we're, we're so invested in this hobby
1: that we, we recognize most, if not all, of the uh, yeah.
0: players in the film.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a lot of fun to watch, and it was a lot of fun to talk, listen to people that, that we've known for so long talk about their collections or talk about the hobby and, and what it means to them.
0: And I know this really had a big impact on people. George Holshauer, who was in the documentary, you go to his office and there's a huge uh, movie mm-hmm. poster hanging on his window uh, to this day, as yeah. far as I know, because he was so excited to take part in this. I think this was really um, sort of a galvanizing moment for a lot of collectors and dealers and other people, you know, somehow involved in the hobby.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, he was a, a massive part of the of the documentary. It was so fun to listen well, to him. When speak. you have a personality like that, you
0: have yeah. to make him a big part of it so no, I'm, I'm excited to talk to mark and yeah. and um you know mark's uh, father is very well known in the hobby as well one of the uh leading auction agents so it'll be fun to hear how mark even came to you know uh, get involved in such a project how he thought up a project on on stamps it'll be um again i think really fascinating to hear the backstory
1: yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it so let's um without further ado let's bring him in
2: absolutely hello hey hi guys how you doing good how are you can you hear me yes we can hear you. awesome awesome sorry about my backdrop i've been relegated to the bedroom because, because <laughs> of school and people actually trying to get some work done
0: not a problem
2: <laughs> not a problem thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with us oh thanks for inviting me
1: yeah absolutely it's uh it's
2: an honor oh and uh, and likewise <laughs> so are you uh someone's in the east coast and you're are you still in california
0: I was in California yesterday. Now I'm back in New York. I was on the ground oh, in gosh. California for 28 hours. Oh, wow. uh, I, I, it was a, a real uh, quick hit. And then I took a red eye last night, landed at 6.30, took the train straight into the office, worked until I crashed at about 1.30. Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> you
2: know,
0: you know, if, if you like the work, I guess. But now, I, now, now I'm, I'm back home so I can get an early night tonight because um, I'm running on about three hours of sleep. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, for, forgive any uh, nonsensical questions. <laughs> oh, no problem. That's, that's my every day. <laughs> so to kick things off, can you talk a little bit about your personal journey with stamps? Because obviously it, it runs in the family mm-hmm. um, and, and, and sort of what led, you know, before the, the movie, even what was your relationship with stamps? What was your familiarity? How did you get to the point where you thought, Hey, I should make a documentary about stamp collecting.
2: Sure. Sure um well you know both like as you said my my family has been involved in stamps for actually this year i think about it, about a hundred years because wow. my grandfather started collecting my grandfather was my grandfather was born in 1903 and he lived to be almost 100 and he started collecting early on like right around in the 20s 1920s and he started collecting and then he moved from collecting to do a, to, like it was a small-time dealer in chicago mostly like, you know, pocket dealing and he had a small shop in the, the basement of his house. And from there, my father got interested in it because of my grandfather, not so much because he wanted to, it's because he had to. My father, my grandfather was one of those you know, like everybody else who had one of those offices and, and um, stores that you couldn't touch anything. Yet mm-hmm. he, and it was, it was a complete mess, but it was like an organized mess that he knew where everything was. And so my father would go and try to grab stamps and you know, send mail, this is like in the 50s and 1940s and 50s. And so he said, you know what, if you're gonna grab the stamps, you have to grab the right stamps. And so let me teach you which ones are right and which ones you don't wanna to touch. And so my father kind of fell in love with stamps as a collector early on when he was a you know, young kid. And then he saw the opportunity to become an auction agent kind of in the late 60s, because there was a time when he was traveling as a chemical engineer, which was his J job. And he would travel, uh, he had a pretty amazing job. He traveled around the world and he sourced oils and uh, mostly oils, flavors, and fragrances for personal care products. So every soap, before they started making it synthetically, would have to get oils, for palm oils, and olive oils, and uh, coconut oils. So as he was traveling, he would go and meet all these dealers and collectors who were friends of my grandfather's. My grandfather my also, also was a prolific communicator he wrote letters to everyone he got you know he wanted to get mail they traded stamps internationally and so my father saw that there was a lot of people who were trying to do the auctions in new york who weren't able to fly in so he would represent them and it was like a little side gig for him so he would go to a seagull auction and he would get you know six months down the line he would get a couple hundred bucks as an agent and but at the time it was a lot of money and it really helped out when having three kids and everything else so he kind of built his business uh through that so I grew up with my grandfather and my father in the the stamp business, but also around me because I'm probably quite a bit older than you guys. There were a lot of people in my generation who also collected as kids. So I didn't think anybody didn't collect. And that kind of goes into doing a film about documentary because I always assumed it was just part of what everybody did. Like Most people I know have a father or a grandparent. It's usually grandfather um, or uncle who collected. And so it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I realized that not everybody knew about what philately was and the difference between being a philatelist and being a stamp collector and what stamps are worth. And, and when I was talking to more and more people, which actually was, I'm sure you guys feel the same way, it's a great icebreaker and also it's a great topic for somebody who's trying to ask somebody out. You know, like I remember being young and I would bring up stamp collecting or say I would say you throw it out there like, oh, I can't I have to do an auction this week. I'm, I'm busy. And what's an auction? And that that led to me being able to impress people with my family's history, not mine. And it really it, kind of helped out. It either works um, or backfires or backfires. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it it's, it's one it's, of two ways. And and Charles, with you just being on a flight? It, I use it a lot on planes because it usually shuts people down. And like, especially because on planes, I just like it's to It's better you know, than read. putting headphones in. Exactly. You know, I'd rather like, i rather read or get some work done or sleep. I'm not, I don't really like to talk to the person next to me. So I'll usually say that and hopefully it'll, it'll shut them down. Um, and so, you know, I was also, so I wor- worked in advertising. So my, my background was in visual arts, not so much film, but I also was um, dabbling, doing short films and I'm, I was doing short films, but also I really love documentaries. Like I can watch any doc, anytime. 'Cause I find people and things fascinating. And, you know, I realized I'd wanted I wanted to do a documentary and I actually didn't think about stamps at first. I pick I was picking a bunch of different other topics and somebody had mentioned to me, you know, why don't you do a documentary on stamp stamps? And the reason why I didn't think about it as much is because for me a documentary has a has a very definite beginning and either a definite ending or something that you could go on and try to like go past the documentarian's research and find out something for yourself. And usually it's something a little bit more stimulated. It could be a competition. It could be a death or a mystery. With stamps, there's really no ending. It just kind of continues. So the hardest part being, I think, a designer is that in my head, before the film started, it was already finished. You know, I kind of had an idea like, I want this to end with some amazing thing to happen in the stamp world. But again, it was completely kind of a nebulous idea and I didn't really know how this was going to work out. So... It wasn't until I started to think about all the different angles of stamp collectors that I decided to do the film because I didn't also want to do something that was a Wikipedia page. I didn't mm-hmm. want to do a history of stamps. I want to do something about the collectors because that really is what I remember the most of being a kid and having people from around the world being in contact with my family and coming coming into Chicago and showing up at the house and everybody. And you know the, the cast of characters and a lot of them are not with us anymore, but there's a lot of people who are really fascinating and all a little bit wild. So I knew once I realized that I was going to do about the people, then it was really just about finding the right people and kind of crafting the story.
1: Yeah, so, so having that connection already to the hobby, did you have an idea as to who you wanted to talk to in the beginning?
2: I did. There was a few people, and what's also this is also not being a, uh, any experience. In, I, I was actually very lucky. I got to talk to a few people. Uh, one of them was Gordon Quinn from, I'm not sure you guys are familiar with Kartemquin Quinn films. Um, they mm-hmm. do some incredibly moving and socially relevant films. Um Quinn was founded by three people. One of them, the Quinn part is this documentary named Gordon Quinn, he's in Chicago. And he actually he actually was a stamp collector also. And so him and I sat down, he gave me, really, he he really gave me a great lesson on what to do and what not to do. And also to, when you're talking to people, realize you're gonna talk to, 100 people and out of those 100 you might pick four or five. So I knew the people I wanted to talk to. A lot of them were a lot older so I made sure I did kind of a hierarchy of people who were in their 80s and 90s because I wanted to talk to them before something happened. But a few of them like Clyde Jennings. I don't know if you're familiar with Clyde. He was, a, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he was phenomenal. I talked to him right before he passed away. He didn't make it into the film because I just didn't have enough of him to make it a full story. But I was looking for people who had the uh, had charisma and had an interesting the way they got into stamp collecting but also had an impact on stamp collecting throughout their whole lives. So I really was looking for looking for that because there's a lot of people out there who just collected because it's something to do. And I talked to Easily two dozen people, and it'll tra- and then also that's the thing—you travel and you film. there's a big expense. There's a bunch of people I have that are were, were great interviews, but all they were, you know, they were they were collecting because it was something to do, and I didn't want that. I wanted people who were collecting for a reason.
1: Yeah, you really tailored the the number of people that you had to tell the story that you wanted to tell, which is right. the the passion behind the mm-hmm. the hobby and everything like that. So, it, oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was gonna say, so that with that being said. Um, also in my, in the narrative, I had an idea about what I wanted to show in the beginning the film's beginning. I'm not kidding with, uh, Neil Steinberg has been the same. It has never changed. The film has gone through maybe 30 different cuts. You know, I had traditional people finishing each other's stories, you know, like a traditional doc style. Mm -hmm. And one time my wife watched that. I thought I was done. I thought I was done. It looked, I thought it looked really good. My wife watched it and she said, you know, i just getting into somebody's story and you're cutting to somebody else who's finishing the story, but it's not their story. You're mm-hmm. doing it like, you know, somebody, you know, which is, which is what they do. You know, say, you know, I started mm-hmm. collecting why I was so you cut to the next person, 10, four, six. And that's when I started to extend the stories as little as vignettes. So you could actually get a feel for this person all the way through and then hopefully wrap it up at the end. But Neil Steinberg's beginning has been the same since then because I wanted to answer, I wanted the film to be constructed in a way where it kind of answered the questions that people always ask me. And I'm sure you guys also, when you meet somebody, say, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm in the stamp business. There's a stamp business. Yes, it is. It's a billion dollar year. People still collect. It's like you're saying that I can't believe that. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was dead. So answering those questions first to get people to feel comfortable, like, oh, that's what I thought. And then ending the film in a way it's when they realize, oh, it's still thriving and it's still exciting. It's still relevant. You probably more now than than today you know actually when i finished it i really felt the social aspect of which i pushed a little bit was much more important now than it ever was
1: how long did it take you to to film from the first time you turned on the camera to the final cut it took you quite some time right
2: a long time i the first interview i did was in 2005 Mm mm-hmm and so wow. I know, right? Yeah. And so actually, <laughs> if you look at that, that footage is all on tape. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how it looks. It looks different because what I started from two thousand, two thousand five, I started filming haphazardly, just as I said to get people on. I got I got Cheryl Gans, who uh, she was phenomenal all five times I interviewed her. Oh. Wow. Jennings and um, oh man, I'm trying to think of all the people that I got. I got a bunch of people locally in Chicago. I got Sonny Hagendorf. I got a lot of people in the beginning, and then then it was kind of like a, then I couldn't figure, then I realized I needed money, and then my daughter was born, and then I kind of put it on the side, and then my son was born. And so really from 2006 to 2008 to nine, it was kind of dead, and it was actually kind of, the you know, they always say, do what you think about every day. It honestly, every day I thought about it, and it really, it like, killed, it was killing me as time <laughs> would by, and then in 2009 i quit my job right during the recession which is always a good idea right <laughs> and uh and i started a production company because i was doing more commercial work as in, in advertising directing commercials and i thought you know what this is a good time to start something on my own and then i'll have what i need to finish the film so once that got off the ground in 2010 i really started filming in late 2011 2012 and so it was about five years from then so would I finish the film mm-hmm. and there was some start stop obviously with you know I would do it in between I also didn't want to um, two things I didn't want to do I self-financed 75% of it and the film cost just under a hundred thousand dollars which seems absurd and it kind of is but I feel like I don't have a hobby so that was kind of my hobby <laughs> um, and also I was trying to do it without borrowing money or or you know putting myself in credit card debt so I did it mm-hmm. I would get some extra money from a job and I would put put it towards the film. So it took a little bit longer for that reason, too.
0: You obviously were looking for things that would contribute to the narrative and you, you were looking for, you know, soundbites and stories that that work. But as you said, I'm sure you've got countless hours of footage that didn't fit into mm-hmm. the documentary. Did you look at yourself? You know, Because when I hear that and I think about, you know, the, the people we may have lost since you recorded them you're almost in a way a, a historian and a field, like a, an Alan Lomax of the Stanford, sure. I would say. Do you look at yourself like that at all? And do you think that you know, some of the footage that maybe wasn't used in the stories that didn't make the final cut could have life down the, down the road when you know, we're, we're remembering these people who you had the unique opportunity to talk to? Do you think that a lot of the footage that maybe didn't make the documentary will um, you know, find a purpose someday?
2: Um, well, to answer your first part of your question, I kind of consider myself a hack I mean, I am the epitome of imposter syndrome <laughs> because a lot of people, I I tend to get involved in things I probably don't have a lot of experience in, but I also have a lot of enthusiasm. And for me, starting the, I mean, I talked to a lot of, film. I have a filmmaker friend who did, I don't know if you're familiar with the SOM uh, series of wine documentaries. Um, so Jason Wise is a, is a friend of mine and he, you know, he's been, he grew up in film. He still shoots 35 millimeter and the whole time he was just like, ripping on me about he's like you're you don't know what you're getting into and I was like yeah but I think I can do this you know I think if you can if you can tell a story if you can write a paper an article you can you can do it you can do a film and so um yeah so I don't consider myself a historian per se I just am really interested in what people have to say and I think that People fascinate me more than anything else. I feel like people are as predictably unpredictable. And if you spend enough time with them, you will see the true person, right? I mean, a lot of people I talked to, I would, I'd have to go back because they were kind of on edge or they weren't felt comfortable. And then within, you know, a couple of times I would interview people, they would let me into their, I mean, they would tell me things I just wouldn't, wouldn't even put on the film because it just seemed unnecessary. And I didn't really have a... I didn't. I didn't want this to be an expose. A lot of you know, a lot of people thought I was going to make fun of people, and I said, no, I'm. I'm not editing this to make anybody look stupid or look, you know, look like complete losers. I wanted to show people what, how their passion, how their passion has affected their lives. Um, so when it comes down to the the other footage, I have thought about going through. I mean, I actually have it all on a huge drive. I mean, it's I have a huge drive, and it's all stored away and backed up. What I would be interested, actually, one of the person, people have been bothering me, and he actually stopped is Alex Heyman, is Alex I interviewed in 2006. Oh, wow. And I interviewed him again in 2012. And then I saw him probably about a year ago, and he hasn't changed. And actually, more <laughs> fascinating is maybe a doc about Alex Heyman, and if he's <laughs> actually human, because he, hasn't, he doesn't look any different. Yeah. And so that's like, you that's you No, know, I've seen photos of
0: him with the first YPLF class way back when, and it's, mm-hmm. it's Alex.
2: It's yeah, It's, it's <laughs> the same person, yeah. So I do have some people I would, um, somebody has some footage, and I forgot who it was. Somebody, some stamp collector, has a bunch of footage. I think it's at the New York uh, Collectors Club of interviews with old, older collectors from like the 70s and 80s. I would probably, and I should, you know, like everything else, like to go through this and just offer the footage up. The only issue is it does, as you guys know, I, and I hate doing this to people, I want to edit it so it's actually like concise. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I will get you know footage from people to use on other projects, and they'll send me their drive. And it's like, oh, you know, I've gotta, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to do that to anybody, so I wouldn't mind taking like the Alex stuff and cutting it down to like a 20-minute segment. So I probably will end up doing that maybe my next long flight. And I'll start and then offering it up to... Um, especially the, the Clyde Jennings. Clyde was such a fascinating character. The way he really just had a, such a joie de vivre and his he was some there's some really good stuff cheryl gans she's the same from the first interview her enthusiasm you know she would be great to have like a little time little time capsule so yeah i would probably do that and, and figure out a great place to put it so people could watch it even if it was at um a museum where it could just loop on screens hmm. you, know, well, more, you know
1: how many hours is it total the uncut
2: Oh the um, oh the the well the, the actually the first version was almost three hours and I wow. actually kind of was freaking out because I couldn't figure out how to cut it down, um, and then somebody approached me from PBS and said we could probably make this a series, and I huh. thought great that's a really good idea and then it just took forever to get that going they wanted to be really educational and the constraints were a little bit too much so I brought it. I actually started to narrow it down while we were t- at the talks and got it down to the hour and a half I have. But I've got probably, I've got probably a hundred hours of footage total, maybe. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's crazy. That's
2: lot. It is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot of people I interviewed over, I mean, I interviewed probably 30, 30 people from 2012 on, and I've got probably another 10 before that.
0: What was the screening in Monaco like? What was the reception like for you, uh, you know, when this finally saw the light of day? Well, yeah, you know, what, how did collectors react? What was the, the, the feedback you got?
2: Well, I had a, I can't watch, I couldn't, I didn't want to be in the same room. Like, I can't watch myself. <laughs> it's like, I can't watch myself on the, on the Zoom screen. I didn't even want to be
0: You're in not going to be watching this episode.
2: No, I'm not going to be watching it. Yet. <laughs> I can't. I don't want to listen to myself. And so, you know, my wife was there with me and she said, you know, you have to, you have to go in there and see what it's like so i sat up against the wall like down behind everybody and i was a wreck until i heard the first kind of giggles in the beginning and and i felt like giggles were because of something neil steinberg had said i was like okay this is good this is like i'm getting a reaction uh the reception was i think great i think there's a few it's funny because the only thing i remember is one gentleman who i'd never met before come up to me and he didn't like it (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> so it, it becomes storming up to me is that I didn't like it. And I said, okay, well, uh, what what did you like it by? He's like, any of it. And then he walked away. That's the only thing I remember. I don't like it, any of it. And so, you know, I guess it was well-received. I got a lot of great, I got, a, the reception was really good. And I really enjoyed seeing people watch it. It's not a traditional doc. It's not for everybody. I think a lot of people in the stamp community may not like it because it seems negative, but in the end, it does come out to be positive. But I still have to, sh- I wanted to show the different I stamp collecting is phenomenal because you could be an Ian Gibson Smith and out there just like, just like in the spotlight. Make a or-
0: note that we should have Ian on. That's a, that's yeah. more- yes. Well, yeah. he
1: was yeah. phenomenal in the documentary. That was, oh, he
2: was, he was phenomenal. I mean, he was phenomenal. I've got a lot more of Ian that I would have to put like a director's cut, like an unrated director's cut because a lot of the stuff <laughs> I had to like cut out because he just would, would go off and talk and his, tangents and stories and how it was it's really it's really good it's gold that gets the
0: nc-17 rating
2: exactly right yeah <laughs> which i'm sure be like less people even want to see that one um but i wanted to you know i wanted to show that you could be you could do this as a solitary hobby and you could do it your whole life or you could do it as a you know as something you use to meet people as a completely social hobby and it'll, you can get out of it something your, your entire there's not i don't know any hobby that anybody can do their whole lives you know, mm. I mean, there's a lot of collectibles, obviously, but this is something that continues on. So I really wanted to show that it's not negative or positive. It is what you want to take out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely showed that in the beginning with Douglas Weiss and then uh, and then Forte in the beginning com- with the completely contrasting stories of Douglas saying it was 100% social for him and, and he loved the, the friends and the family he got. And then Forte coming in and saying it's a much more solitary. To him and it's it's more about the stamps it was uh it it started it off on the right foot i, I knew exactly where you kind of wanted to what you wanted to portray as soon oh, as i thanks. saw that
2: thanks i had i had that was the biggest part to be honest with you from from cheryl on the almost the ending because the ending obviously i wasn't expecting the um the uh, the penny magenta to be sold i had a complete i have a completely all ending that's um, super, kind of ethereal and conceptual. And it's watching it now. I can't believe I have even considered it because I had like this, like really, like like it was. It was almost like a, almost like a United commercial. You know, it was like these huge scenes of like stamp collectors and children running and music. And I was like, this is terrible. I was like, I can't believe I thought this was gonna be an ending. But that that after Neil Steinberg and 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 before Cheryl Gons, I must have recut that a dozen times because I couldn't figure out how to. Transition from one to another, and I think just having, as you as you said, I'm glad you noticed that because having the complete contrast in the beginning set the tone for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's almost like a mirror where you um, you know it, it. If if you want to have a, a more humorous view of the hobby, or if you want to have a more sentimental view of the hobby, it really does seem like you can get out of it whatever you whatever your take of the hobby is, it seems like that's reflected in the movie. It, it's nice that there's no, um, uh, no agenda, it seems, except for what uh, no. you yourself want to project onto the film.
2: Right, yeah, and I usually come into all my projects with no agenda. I mean, obviously I have an idea, because I, I write a lot of, like right now, I'm in the process right now of um, developing a bunch of different series and, and docs I'm trying to get off the ground. And that's the biggest question people ask me, is that what, I mean, you're trying to make your film, but really it's more my aesthetic and the story I want to hear than the story I want to tell. I really want people to tell their own story and have the time to do it because, I mean, if you take, I mean, the film could have been about Hull the entire film. I mean, yeah. he's somebody who I could have, he, I have so much of him and his I mean, you've been to his office.
0: He still and, has the, the poster hanging. I mentioned yeah. that in the introduction. He still yeah. has the poster I, uh, hanging on his window, but he, his office is, um, there's, there's no words to describe it.
2: Yeah, and it's got, it's, it does have matches everywhere. I remember the team, my crew, kept looking at me, pointing to like smoky matches on the carpet, and <laughs> so I'm like, oh, "We're gonna, this is gonna burn everything up."
0: Little piles of pipe ash on the carpet. Pipe ash
2: on the carpet, and it's, and you know, that's he, you know, it's, it's, he, there could have been a lot more of him, and it's difficult because when you have such strong personalities, you don't want them to take over the, th- the entire story, you know, and so I was trying to have the film start slowly and then crescendo to a point where you realize that it is important. It's stamps aren't very important when it comes down to whatever. I mean, whether you collect stamps or China, it's the idea that you are bringing people together and it is a community, which we just are, lo- I mean, as I said, we are losing a lot. A lot of this, this, a lot of this film was based on a book called Bowling Alone, um, which is a fantastic book about the death of uh, bowling leagues. Hmm. And so when I read Bowling Alone back in two, I think it was in the early, I thought, you know, this is, I get it, like we're, there's no, I mean, nobody's, nobody's all, men's clubs, I mean, for lack of a better term, don't really exist. And these community groups are less and less about the community and more and more about either whatever action they're taking within their community. And people just don't get together as groups anymore. So I really wanted to show that this is still a cumulatively um, group hobby that could also be wildly rewarding on its own.
1: Yeah, I think that definitely showed through. And I, I liked how you compared and contrasted the collectors with the whole the the dealer mm-hmm. aspect. You know it, it was nice to see both both sides represented there and kind of get a, a look into how the people who sell stamps operate and how they have to understand not only the stamps but the people who collect stamps that was uh was
2: George was and i needed i needed George or I needed somebody i mean I had David Feldman and i had said uh, sunny Hart am trying to think of the other the other dealers that I spoke with high high end dealers because mm-hmm. I needed to also I guess in a very, I mean, mostly like in a commercial level, wanted to throw the money in there just to show, to get interest. Because I said, I, w- I wanted to make a film for non-collectors. And so I wanted to people who were watching this realize, oh, I didn't realize it's a you know, multi, multi-million dollar a year business, just to keep the attention going. Because an hour and a half is a long time to talk about stamps. And I think that that's Adding that in there gave people a reason to kind of think what is at the end of this? Is there some stamp that i don't know about or that's worth ten million dollars and luckily there was
1: yeah yeah, it was a fun story george's george's story it was it wasn't yeah it wasn't just for collectors, it was for people right so was there a interview story that didn't make it into the cut that you that you were really struggling to try and fit it in there, something that you found most interesting that didn't quite
2: Yes, there was a few. There's a few people that I Stephen Heller, who used to be the graph the design critic of the New York Times. He also is now, um, I believe his job is a he's a he's a professor at it's a Tisch? might be Tisch School of the Arts in New York. Um, he had a really excellent kind of like looking at the aesthetic of stamps themselves. He was he was a, the nice thing about it is that he was a collector as a kid, but then now his job was is as a designer. He wrote a book about stamps and he wrote about the way art and stamps go together. And it was, it's fascinating talking about how the idea that you can really tell what's going on in a country by their stamps and also seeing the re, the, how art has reflected itself into stamps, even though people don't consider stamps as little works of art. There's a big, there's a big chunk of the film was gonna be about stamp, stamps as art. Hmm. And it, just, it, would be, it would have been out of left field. I had it in there for a long time and it was like people were talking about it. I had Stephen Heller. And I had this, um, uh, this other, uh, I forgot his name now. Uh, this this kid in Boston who writes these, who has his own publishing house. Uh, he had, he was talking about stamps. So I had a lot of people who were talking about stamp artists and the artist stamp movement even. So I had a couple people in there who I think as a grouping made a really good 15 minutes of stamp art, but it just, it just seemed out of, seemed weird. And then I broke it up and tried to like pepper it in. That even seemed weirder. So I think that, the people that I in are in there are the people I really always wanted to be in there. I mean, not to say that I had any vision for this film, but I really knew as soon as I started talking to people that they were going to be in. Yeah. Not, I mean, David Feldman has his interview is spotless. I mean, he doesn't miss a beat. He sound, he's articulate and he's, he's interesting if you like that kind of. Like, if you want to talk about high end stamps and, and like, it's all good, but it wasn't. Enough to actually have him in, that he would offset somebody else. If somebody mm-hmm. had to give, I feel like I picked the people who should have been in there.
1: Yeah.
0: So what's next? What you know, uh, obviously you've got life outside of the uh, the stamp world, <laughs> but but do you plan on? Uh, a- again, it, it it really does, and and you know, having known your father for a long time, it really does seem like it's in the blood.
2: How- oh, he. Well, this sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. He should have been in the film. I actually him <laughs> and I into a huge, and I'm sure you. Michael you work with your father right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he was the the you know my father he was the one of the worst interviews i had he was like it was <laughs> i felt like i was 16 like he was just he but wasn't he, him, it wasn't himself friend. he's such a great storyteller oh he, he but he wasn't on camera and that was one thing i realized cuz i that's why i do stuff behind camera because i don't ever want to be in front of it in front of the camera he just wasn't he didn't let himself go and tell and he's got amazing stories. And so I've got some interviews with him and they just don't add anything. I'm a little, I regret that they're not in there cause I would be nice to have, a, you know, he's 80,000 years old now. So it's like, you know, he's still doing hes still doing well, but I mean, I would love to have him him been on there, but yeah, he wasn't really one that fit in anywhere. And also he didn't want to talk about the business aspect of it because he didn't want to, he wanted to kind of keep the privacy between the business, the people that he dealt with and creeps. You know I, I just he didn't just didn't want on camera so he's one person i wish was in there but at least i have the footage yeah i so throw back his face <laughs> every time i see him
0: <laughs> do, do you see yourself uh, remaining involved in the hobby now again now that the documentary's over i think it would be easy to sort of put that chapter of your life behind you but what do you see your involvement in philately as going forward how, how do you fit into the puzzle now that um now that the, the documentary's done
2: you know, I think that without you know, first of all, trying to promote it's one big thing because when he, this is a, another lesson I realized even though I got distribution, they really put the onus on the filmmaker to you know this is a there was a hard lesson learned because they picked up the film. They, I didn't get paid for it. You get obviously you get, a, but the interesting thing about this distribution, which was totally new for me, but I was once again I was told by a few people I knew who got films distributed, is that the. You know, I need to promote the film as much as possible and get out to as many outlets because I want people to see it. Um, and now that it's available internationally, trying to get people to watch it internationally is, is great. I am in talks with PBS uh, about a completely different subject um, series. I feel like if I can get them to buy off on this, it'll give me an opportunity to possibly do a series on stamps kind of based off the movie. And it would be something more in the lines of travel and connecting people but having stamps involved as kind of like the catalyst, just like a food show would be, you know, Mm -hmm. traveling food show, but using philately and, and history. Because one thing I'm really adamant about is the idea that people are not learning history like they should. And that's how I learned all my history through stamps. And it really frightens me how little people know about, I should say, especially younger generations, know about anything from the Vietnam War to the Holocaust to, I mean, stuff that happened in the 80s. You know, so it's like the idea that I want to be able to do something that's educational and hopefully stamps will have something to do with it.
1: That'd be fantastic. Would, would you have to completely start over? Would you be able to use some of your old footage as well?
2: I would, probably, I would probably start over because I want it to be a little bit more relevant and have it a combination mm-hmm. of kind of, you know, the way have some li- like live action kind of host. it like I would I'd want it hosted. I'd want it hosted Um, I'd want to be able to show, I think, I mean, dead countries are huge. I mean, that could be an entire series of countries that you didn't know existed or what. I don't think many people realize modern-day Germany was not modern-day Germany up until 120 years ago. I mean, nobody knew, no one knows about Italian states and German states. And also no one knows where Sarawak is, if you ask them. But like that, I think is, would have to be, it would be an educational, but I'm trying to figure out how to make it more entertaining to get people to watch it. And also on PBS, because... Not many people watch network anymore. Hmm. So you have to figure it that could out. It could
0: almost be like a, an Anthony Bourdain does uh, postage stamps. Yeah.
2: No, exactly. And I really, that's why I thought like something that's going to be very, very true to what it is and not, and something that, but you actually will show because stamps, as I said, I do think that like Doug Weiss really hit this and community is so huge, even more than ever. And now that we're not hanging out with anybody, it's going to be even more huge once this all passes. And so, yeah, I think it could be something, I would like to push something. The key is that you have to get in in one thing and try to sell the other.
1: Yeah, but you'd know that the best. I mean. yeah, I would, yeah,
2: it's, it's, a, it's like, new, it's like a, a learning experience. I mean, everybody I talk to, I, I listen to a lot of pad, podcasts with directors. I mean, Martin Scorsese says the same thing. He's like, he fights for, movie, for money for every movie he makes. Now he does. Wow. And it's, it's crazy because nobody wants to buy off because nobody really knows where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So really getting into the right people is huge.
1: Well, it's great that you've still got the passion behind stamps. It wasn't just, this is the documentary. Okay, no, on money. to the no. next thing. Oh, it's, right, right, yeah. yeah.
2: And even like the, you, you see a shot of my kids um, at the table, that one shot. that Actually, my daughter didn't make the face she did right before I cut. I could have led a little longer, but she kind of ruined the shot, ruined the moment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> even my kids, when they grab their stamp, I mean, they haven't done it in a little while, but they're 14 and 12, but they'll sit there with this stuff and they'll just look, they'll trade. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll look at stuff that's like, it is not worth anything. And they're really excited about it. So there is still, especially for kids, um, the passion, but really getting adults. And I'm talking, especially with, you know, my sister-in-law is a little bit younger than me and she's like quintessential hipster. And she, her and her friends have knitting parties. Like they get together and they sew like all this, a lot of this could be very retro. And I think it could be appealing to a a younger demographic.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have a collection yourself?
2: I I do. I kind of inherited a few, you know, for my grandfather left me his collection Mm -hmm. and it's more, it actually looks more like behind your Michael behind your uh, (laughs) desk. That's, it's a a collection accumulation of, I've got, Oh, tens of thousands of covers um, British Palestine, a lot of British Palestine uh, postal history, a lot of uh, early Poland, early Ukraine, early Russian, uh, my father and then I've got stuff I got Jama- I got stamps I've got a lot of uh, Jamaica uh, of course Bermuda so I've got a lot of mishmash um, that I don't really spend that much time with and since my father obviously was in British they like he he's you know he's he's given me a lot of a lot of stuff that I've gone through but but you know what's interesting about it is that I it does tend to do to me that does I I've always said I don't collect anything anything I mean it's it's really I've always thought I had a problem I don't like anything i don't want anything in the house i'm very minimalist when it comes down to it mm-hmm. but when i do look at the collection i do realize i get sucked into it as much as everybody else does i mean there are times my wife i'll grab a scott catalog and my wife's like hey it's 1am you know you <laughs> stop i'm like what i'm like i'm just gonna i just gonna find this one so i think that power is universal
1: yeah yeah i've been in that position many times
2: yeah and and it does and it it does like you know it really does bring you to a point where you can block everything out and you really want to find out and and the search is the search is searching for it's great i really Mm -hmm. and also i think that when it comes down to here i was also thinking the idea of you know and this is obviously not uh, this has not been proven but i don't know any stamp collectors real stamp collectors who suffer from dementia or alzheimer's and that's a big talk where we have that it could be something about this stimulation as you get older I think it's important for um, that there's a um, I was actually in talks with a a filmmaker who did a film about um, uh, nursing homes or I guess senior living facilities who were uh, installing or introducing kindergartens so that the people in the could actually interact with the young it was it was good for both the kids and for the the older people and I was I had talked with her online about the idea of Introducing stamp collecting to senior living facilities, especially since they're becoming people are moving into them earlier and they're becoming more prominent. And I think it could be something there too. So is it like a spitballing of ideas? I'm trying to put together into one cohesive idea.
1: So you said you talked to David Feldman. Did you do a lot of uh, interviews in Europe as well?
2: I did. I did. I did um, in. Uh, let me see. Where did I? The first Monaco fill I went to was 2011. So I, did a t- I spent three days interviewing a ton of people. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, from, I, oh, I also have a lot of European, I have a lot of French uh, collectors. Um, I have, I'm trying to think, I had a couple of stamp artists in there. David Feldman, yeah, we got a really good interview with David Feldman, um, George Holschauer, my initial interview with him was there. And so I did have a lot, they just didn't, um, I wasn't able to figure out how they,
1: yeah.
2: Europeans for the most part are more reserved um, especially in the stamp, and they didn't really. They had, they were, I said, just like David Feldman, a fantastic speaker, but I didn't feel that enthusiasm that I really wanted. And so it didn't really add. So so I filmed it, I filmed there, and then I filmed a little bit in Paris, um, just some B roll. And I'm trying to think, I filmed in London a little bit where Harmers was, because I was going to do a little. That's another thing. I filmed a ton in Nassau Street, and it, I was trying to get to tell the history of stamps. Once again, it, that's why it was three and a half hours at one point. It was just yeah. way too much stuff.
1: So this is a bit of an, oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say, that's why Ian actually saved me by us doing the quick. That was him <laughs> and I really actually it was the, we were out, I can't even tell we were out to like 3 a.m. and taught like out and eating and drinking and talking about how to get this history. And he's like, why don't I just spit it out tomorrow? And he did. And it actually yeah. worked out really well to kind of, it worked out really well to like up the pacing a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a phenomenal and funny story that uh, Broken Crown that it, it, the way he told it, you could tell the the passion he had behind it and the kind of laughing at himself for how much he spent on the uh, on different stamps and, and it was uh it was a lot of fun, that yeah. story.
2: And that, that's why I always get people to sign um a, a release form before I interview them because as soon as I got <laughs> as soon as he said the amount, I'm like, I'm gonna put that in there. You can't do it if you <laughs> Actually I asked him, I said he's like, yeah. I'm fine with it. I was like, All right. I said I won't I won't dwell on it, but I have to put it in there.
1: Mhm. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry, you're going to have a question before I cut you off.
1: Yeah, so it was a bit of a weird question. Interviewing American collectors, American dealers, and and European collectors, European dealers, did you find their stories differed in a way that that they collected differently or that their passion behind it was from different origins? Or were they Uh, the same kind of...
2: I actually felt like with most of the European dealers and collectors, I felt like talking to them about stamps would be like talking to, to American collectors about mowing the lawn. Like it was just part of their vernacular from day one. There was never, I mean, they were like, this is what we do. Kind of like not understanding that we don't have universal health care, right? It's like, wait, <laughs> what, you actually pay? Like, we have this. So they, it almost was such part of their lives that it didn't seem as special because it didn't seem like there's any reason why they wouldn't do it. Like, why don't I say, why you collect? Why wouldn't it's you collect?
0: It's funny that you say that because I was trying to get, I was going to London once and I was at customs at Heathrow. And of course they ask you what your profession is. And I told him I was a philatelist because I think that's more fun than a right. thing auctioneer or something. And he looks at me like I've got, you know, a second head. Yeah. And he says, well, if you wanted to go buy a Penny Black, where would you go? Right. <laughs> and I said, uh, Stanley Gibbons on the Strand. Mm-hmm. And he said, "All right, you're good to go." To him, that was like, yeah. He's not a stamp collector, but he knows Stanley Gibbons mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, that's that's. Exactly. It, it, it would have been weird for me to have not answered that properly in his mind.
2: Right, and I could see being so shocked, not remembering what to say. <laughs> like I, because yeah, no, exactly. Like very few people who are not older. I mean, if I talk, there's most of the time anybody. I'm 49, and so I feel like anybody from 60 on up will know about stamps, but usually nobody else does, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so it is. So they usually, they seem like it more, it seemed more run-of-the-mill for them. So I didn't, I didn't find it was that special. Hmm. I just I, I say that David Feldman's story, he's, he's, he's got that Irish storytelling effect, right? So his voice sounds great. He, he's got just like, he knows where it hit, like the intonation is perfect. So his story was really good as a one-off. But it didn't really go. It didn't fit within like the constraints of or the parameters of what I was trying to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's a fascinating difference, Charles. Yeah. Sorry. So for
0: people, as I was gonna say we've been talking about this thing for forty-five minutes. For people who want to see it who haven't, I'm sure a lot of people are. You know, <laughs> they're I mean. a lot there. of people. Yeah. But but you know, for, for the people who who now want to seek it out, what are the options for viewing? Where can they go find this?
2: You you can get it. on uh, – Amazon Prime is probably the the best way, or iTunes. Uh, you can get it on. You can go to. Um, freaks and or freaks and I think they all go to the same place and they'll all be all the viewing options. So Google play has it. Amazon, uh, prime, uh, YouTube. It's on YouTube movies. It's on iTunes. And there's a bunch of other places you can watch it, but any of those would be the best way to the best way to do it.
1: Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. I, I got to, I think I've seen it, twice now once in monaco and then when we came back from monaco we we sat all our employees down we bought it on itunes and we showed it to all our employees
2: oh you guys yeah At you least. guys are, i want to thank you guys have been a great support you and your father i mean everybody oh, has thanks. been um but it is nice because it is tough because the amount of it's a lot like I, I got a the the deal i got from gravitas ventures was 15 years which seemed absurd until i realized it takes that long to just pay for the marketing and what it costs <laughs> to actually put this stuff on but getting it out there i felt like getting it out there globally would give you know especially now give more an awareness to stamp. i never wanted this to be a commercial for stamp collecting but what i wanted people to do is make their own decision so if you saw that and you thought it was interesting that you might even look into it and even if it was like 10 percent of the people out there who saw it it might help boost an awareness for stamp collecting that most people don't know you know, it exists it, that the, the hobby still exists and it's thriving.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you hit fascinating stories. And I think anybody who watches it is definitely going to be bit by the collecting bug in, in one way or another.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, and the idea that you can collect, it can be an addition and add on to anything else you collect. I mean, ephemera mm-hmm. is a fantastic way. If you said, as, as Ian was saying, if you collect China, you can find China on stamps. And so I think it's a good, I think it's great for, for kids to help them learn. I think it's great for adults to help to keep their minds occupied and also to learn things and um i think as a as a community builder it's great
1: yeah yeah completely agree well mark that I, I thank you so
2: much for joining oh, thank us you. thank you guys i really appreciate yeah. it yeah it was a it was a pleasure
0: absolutely and 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 great and, job and, the
2: podcast yeah
0: thanks and, and, and as as uh, you know ho- hopefully things progress we'd love to uh hear more about future endeavors we'd love to um uh, be kept in the loop about you know what else um uh, you know w- whatever else we can do to help um and help make mm-hmm. these plans come true just just let us know we we'd love to um to remain involved
2: oh i appreciate that yeah we'll definitely let you guys know and if there's any more i've been like obviously there's no screenings um going on but as you know scott english and i talk a lot about trying to figure out how to bring it in the screenings are great um but also i like to get people to actually rent it so it's you know so i'm trying to figure out how to like but now everybody's got to everybody's got to rent it. so yeah I'll let you guys know and um if you're you know And if you're, if anything comes up and it's something, we don't have to talk for an hour, but if something comes up and you want to get back on, we can definitely do it. Let's do it. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you guys. You're talking to me. Take care.
1: Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the film so much in Monaco and to, to get a chance to actually talk to Mark about it. And uh, um, you know, sort of um, it's like a behind the scenes documentary. That's like a, a bonus feature on the DVD. I feel
1: yeah uh we don't get we don't get many of those interviews with the the director of a um stamp documentary i think there's just one you can do
0: i was gonna say it's really without uh analog without comparison um this is it's amazing that there haven't been more people trying to do what he did but i'm glad it was Mm -hmm. him i'm glad it's somebody with such a long history in the hobby um you know family's long history in the hobby and uh, I just thought that was great. I, it, that was a, a really fun chat. And I can't wait to see where he goes from here.
1: Yeah, I'm interested about the um, traveling. Do you think you stamp. could be the Anthony
0: Bourdain of the philatelic world? Is that were,
1: were you angling for a role in the show? Oh, no, and, like, definitely. Definitely not. I can't. I get jet lag too easily.
0: You could be sort of like the, the bad boy of the stamp world, like, like, like Bourdain was. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I didn't want to ask him who would because he said it needed a narrator. Or um, yeah, next so time we talk who, to him, let's ask him who he would cast. Who he would cast? That was a uh, that'd be an interesting one. I'm sure it's probably someone he's interviewed. Alexander, know. maybe. All right, yeah, Alex would be. Wouldn't a good have one. to
0: worry about him aging from season to
1: that's, season. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good.
0: Well, that that um, was that was great, Chad. For people listening to this, uh, you can also find us on depending on where you're listening to us on uh, YouTube. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Pod, everywhere.
1: Podbean, everywhere.
0: Exactly. Everywhere. We're, Let's we're, just we're say like,
1: everywhere from now on. Like
0: the documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actually watching. gonna we're going to link to the documentary in the description. He said the things, but we're gonna make them a lot easier for we're everyone. Possible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's worth
0: seeing. It's it is it's absolutely worth worth your time. Yeah.
1: Um, I definitely recommend it. I've seen it twice now.
0: It, 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 I'm gonna go watch it again. I, that that put me in the mood to uh, go fire it up tonight while I cook dinner. So yeah, uh, so that that, that was a, a really fun chat, and uh, and I'm looking forward to the next one.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think we're talking next week. We're talking to James Gavin of the Digital Philatelist. He's really supporting the, the online community for, for Stamps and creating a website where it's almost a one-stop shop for anyone who wants to find anything philatelic online. I think it's fun how diverse these interviews are. How we It's almost like getting whiplash from one
0: week <laughs> to the next week we, talk. we go from Documentarian to Eric Jackson to yeah. Bram Beck to Dana Geyer to Scott English. It's fun um, that really no two weeks back... I mean, look... I think people probably think that stamp collecting is a a narrow, finite hobby. Mm -hmm. And I think these interviews just show how many, you know, whether it's talking to David Ball about astrophilately or talking to Michael Hines about pre-cancels. It's fun to be able to take, again, what seems like a limited hobby to an outsider, so many different places. I think that's, it's been, it it reminds me um, just how vast and um, impressive this hobby is that we can cover so much ground without ever, leaving yeah. the philatelic world.
1: Yeah, the reach it has, it, it definitely connects a lot more people than you'd assume. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of people in Europe as well.
0: Well, we, we'll start having more. After Sebastian, we'll start having more yeah. uh, European guests on as well.
1: Yeah, we, uh, there's, we're never going to run out of people to, to no, talk and, to. <laughs> and, and,
0: and, and, uh, I don't know why I hadn't thought of having uh, Ian Gibson-Smith on. Yeah. Uh, we may have to check the... Um, uh, this episode contains adult content box explicit <laughs> content box after talking to Ian.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: if we, if we edit that stuff out, we may have the shortest episode of the podcast, <laughs> but I uh, know I was going to say, there's just so many ways we can branch out. I'm really looking forward to future episodes. Yeah. And uh, this conversation was a lot of fun
1: as always. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I will uh, see you next time. Talk real soon. Yep. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>